Welcome all you wiretappers out there back here in the studio with our favorite ATF agent, Ignacio Esteban. Welcome, Ignacio. Uh, thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me again. It, like it's, to be great, on here. it's great to have you back. We're going to have you back some more. You're an expert on about every facet of organized crime, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy studying and researching it. Uh, uh, and, and I had, of course, my own personal experiences. Right, right. But so you've got a combination of your expertness that you've studied and your own personal experiences. You makes you the the ideal guest for me. Uh, and folks, uh, Ignacio has a ton of books out there on every aspect of organized crime and, and a variety of other subjects that you might be interested in. Uh, I'll have links to his author page in the uh, show notes or in the YouTube down below. So take a look at that. And and today we're going to talk about the Yakuza. Now, I started watching this show on HBO Max called Tokyo Vice. And, and I really I was kind of getting into it. it's pretty interesting uh, how the uh, Japanese Yakuza is is almost like kind of an integral part of society, much like the mafia has been in the United States for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, they go to they, they socialize with their neighbors and and they yeah. know people in the government and and you know they tend to want to corrupt them but they have this kind of working relationship with everybody in society so uh, i just thought it was fascinating i looked around for an expert and guess who i found my friend retired <laughs> atf you. agent esteban <laughs> there you go so, Gary. thank you let's talk about the yakuza sure yeah i, I was i was the same thing that, that inspired me i mean uh, of course remember black rain Remember some of the other movies that, that used to back in the 80s and 90s. And, and Yakuza, you know, it's always something that fascinated me also. And uh, they've always been in the media. Of course, I've seen Intel reports, you know, being with ATF. I've seen all different organized crimes and I've seen them. They've always, they, they, they all have a, I would say, significant enough uh, in, in the United States. They're, they're very big in Hawaii, California, uh, San Francisco, LA, New York City, and of course in DC area. And anytime you see a, a large Asian population, there's always a few Yakuza. And I'm going to tell an interesting Recent big arrests that happened in um, in the uh, Southern District of New York and Manhattan, reference to a, a huge case, and I'll talk about that in a second. But about the Yakuza, yeah. I so I I started dabbling. I had done a few books already. Um, by the time I got to the Yakuza one, I had done organized crime with the Italian mafia. I've done the one percenters, and I was doing the street gangs and all that. And I saw the same show you're talking about, and the book that came out from I think his name was uh, Jake Adelstein, right. who had written it, and he was a uh, well, I was reading about him also. That he was a, a beat reporter that signed to a Japanese paper uh, back in the 90s. And I think he was the first American to have done that and then to be embedded with the local police to really study the uh, Yakuza uh, you know, criminal underworld. And uh, so that was kind of fascinating. He learned Japanese. He became very in, in the culture and everything else. And he wrote a book about it. And I think that's, it, it takes part in the 90s. His experience was in the 90s and I think early 2000s. And then he wrote the book and then it got picked up in the movie. So I saw the same thing you did. I saw the trailer, I saw the previous. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do my own little research. And I wrote my own little book about it and stuff. And I, and I found out. I mean, there, there's those. And what, I, what my conclusion reading and studying it was that Yakuza is pretty much almost done. It, it, it's, its best days are, are way behind it. I mean, back in the uh, 60s and 70s, membership was 180,000. I mean, it, it was an enormous, enormous organization. I mean, it's been around for almost 300 years. I mean, it's one of the oldest organized crimes we had active in this country. I mean, you, you think of the Yakuza, uh, you think of the Irizami, you know, these guys that love to do these full body tattoos right. and they have things involved up to your ankle, up to your wrists and ankles. And, and they have meaning. I mean, they have the, uh, the fish there, the dragon, 
you know, when they, when they show those guys who want to have like a fish spawning up to the dragging, that means that they want to be a boss one day. Yeah. When they're street level, now they want to become a boss one day. They have their gods and everything else. And everything has meaning with their tattoos. But it, it takes time and extremely painful. I mean, these guys do it by hand. So anybody knows anything about tattoos, that's extremely very painful. And, and they use uh, bamboo needles or Ooh. steel needles. Very painful. Yeah. So these guys have taken that's That's part of the historical side of the Yakuza. And, of course, everybody knows about, maybe not uh, but your audience, about when they shorten uh, their, their pinky fingers from some of the other fingers. Yeah, what's up with that? And they cut off part of their pink, uh, pinky to, fingers. To, to Everybody the, do digit, that? or to, to the digit right here. Yeah. So you see these guys are missing a lot of that. Now, that that's that's a sign that you're, you're Yakuza, because the average Japanese person doesn't really do that, unless you're Yakuza. And uh, that's a sign also gives people a heads up, hey, you're part of that. And they like to cover their tattoos up to a certain point so that you don't see it. So if you have a suit on or a long sleeve shirt, you can't really see it, but once you take it off, it's full body type, what they call the irizami, you know, the full body right there, which, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and they do it because I guess in different theories, why it, it, it's, I guess it started as a samurai tradition. They claim they evolved from the samurais, and that's what they, they claim some of them do. And on the sword, I guess the bottom pinky on their big samurai sword was a problem. So that's why they were cut half it so it would fit better on the grip. That's the historical side of it. Uh, then they said later uh, it was for atonement. If you messed up, you have to pay your boss with that. Symbolizes you, you had a mistake or as a debt. So I, I found that to be also interesting. But the new generation really doesn't want anything to do with it because the Japanese laws. <laughs> no <laughs> this, this is what. This is why it's, it's really been. And they fractured big time within what I was studying. I mean, obviously you had the Yamaguchi. I mean, they're different clans and, and the Yamaguchi clan. It's like saying um, for your audience who doesn't know, uh, like La Cosa Nostra, you, you have the Gambino family. You have the different different parts, different families in New York City, or what have you. Uh, the same thing applies. But Yamaguchi is like it's like represents like three quarters of, of, of the members. So it's, it's really big. And uh, they recently had a huge split. I will say about four or five years ago that became Kobe uh, Yamaguchi. So, and that's like a younger generation who's just split away from the older generation because they really don't want to embrace all of this that was going on with, because it shows they become like pariahs. Um, the Japanese government has cracked down immensely with some of the strictest laws targeting them. So it, it makes it almost be being a Yakuza almost illegal. Pretty much you involve any sort of, you know, violation. Oh, you're also Yakuza. You get some serious time. Uh, you're extorting people, you're committing violence, you're involved in, in, in all this stuff. They, the, the victims and the government can sue now your boss of the clan, and they have some huge civil mm -hmm. suits. So it's really, really shows. And on top of that, they make it illegal for any business owner to sell any known Yakuza, which you can tell you guys the way they are, any cars, phone, any property. Really? So you're wow. also held accountable. So they, they're making it pretty hard. Uh, I was talking with my research. I saw an interesting documentary um, on Vice where they interview, and I, I obviously uh, Jake uh, Adelstein, he's involved in this documentary, which was pretty cool. And, and they're interviewing these guys uh, about how harsh it's gotten. And it's like, and a lot of these guys were members for years and they walked away. They're trying to find a new life for themselves because it's getting that extreme right there. So I think the numbers... Uh, maybe even less than 10,000, if that, because it's just the Japanese government has made it so hard and cracking down. Geo's Red Light District. 
a place that was once synonymous with the Yakuza. Oh man, that used to be a great like nurse-themed sex club. Sad. It used to be what? A great nurse-themed sex club. Nurse-themed sex club. Well, you know, it's like you know, it was a sexual massage, but it was a nurse theme. You like your dress-ups? I didn't say I like dress-ups. Who are the Yakuza? The Yakuza are 22 different designated organized crime groups that make their money in Japan from gambling, extortion, drug dealing, prostitution, child pornography, blackmail, fraud increasingly, and any other crime that you can think of. They used to have limits on what they would do and wouldn't do. They don't have any of those limits now. Why do you think the Yakuza are in decline? Well, they're in decline because the laws have gotten better. They criminalized paying off the Yakuza. Yakuza now can't collect money from people. They can't get a phone. They can't get a hotel room. Uh, they can't get an apartment. And they can have people substitute for them, but when they get caught, they go to jail. And that, more than anything, has made living life as a Yakuza so unpleasant that people are leaving in droves. And so has the U.S. government, by the way. Uh, during the Obama administration, they, they started some major, major sanctions from OFAC, Office of Foreign Asset Control, within the Department of Treasury. They started tar targeting individuals and business dealing in the United States that had Yakuza connections. Oh, really? And, re and really cracking down on them. So that was because, and I think I do something with his connection also with Hawaii, him being from Hawaii. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest area Yakuza where you've seen in the United States is in Hawaii. And then the other ones, and I'll tell you the story in a little bit, but uh, that's, I think, part of it. And it's just snowballed to where I think, just in my opinion, just like my other books, you know, I don't see, you know, the Italian mafia, the one percenters uh, where they used to be either. Mm -hmm. I think some of these major investigations has, has decimated them also, and they're nothing what they used to be. Uh, and I put that in, in my books also uh, based on the cases and, and, and loyalty. And they're also cooperating against each other. Uh, they just had in Japan uh, the first case ever, a death penalty case for a head of a crime boss in Yakuza. Oh, really? They're going to execute one. Oh, that's, wow. that's the first time in the history they're going to do that. So it, it, and between the lawsuits, executions, they're getting serious time. Just like in our country, we start cracking down on these guys and with the Capones and the Gaudis and, and they, one after the other, we start cracking them yeah. down and they start cooperating. They're, they're, I think they learned it's, yeah, they were part, maybe they, they, maybe they served a good purpose, maybe in some way. Some people said yes, some people say no. But, but at the end, uh, they had more policing and they hired more policing mm -hmm. and that replaced them. And then they really they didn't, they didn't even come back. At the end, they, they do extort a lot of money from a lot of these mom and pops businesses. So they, they take advantage of people. Uh, they're involved in prostitution, human trafficking, drug trafficking. They're involved in violence. These aren't, aren't good people. And, and, and one of the interviews I saw and in my book, former crime boss said, you know, they, they've really gotten really, guys who are staying are really, really bad criminals. These aren't the guys who are really trying to help the average person. These are just criminals, really thugs and out there. So, and, and, they're, and they're gang culture. And we see the same thing. The hard, some of the guys are hardcore are the ones that stick around. The other ones say, you know what? It's not worth it. <laughs> I used to say when they came out yeah. with those sentencing guidelines, you can make somebody tell about their mother when you're looking at 50 years in the penitentiary and you're about 30 years old. And, and they know that they're going to have to do 48 of that 50, man. Uh, you can, uh, <laughs> those professional criminals, they'll start singing like crazy when they're looking at that. 
So it looked to me like on that uh, show that they made a lot of money off of loan sharking too. That was kind of the premise of the show that so far what I've seen is that, that they were making money off of loan sharking and, and, you know, Japanese culture is not really a big drug culture, a big gambling culture, I believe, but, uh, G- not drugs. Too. Yeah. They, they, they were getting involved in, and in, 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 in they maybe not want to consume it, but they know how to traffic it. And okay. they know how to find consumers. Yeah, send it to the United and, States. We know how to consume it. We, we know how to consume it and, and uh, all over Europe. I mean, th- these guys have really, really good, good networking. Uh, and, and, they, and, they, and they do that. So this is an interesting case here. And um, your audience can look into it also. Uh, when I was researching, I saw the criminal complaint out of the Southern District of uh, New York and Manhattan. And this was a high-ranking Yakuza member. And uh, this was about a three-year investigation, DEA, DOJ, and other components. Uh, dealing with this organization, he was Yakuza, but he was here and he was meeting. Wait, I wish I would have done this. You see, this was a great undercover deal. Uh, <laughs> he was meeting with Yakuza guys in Copenhagen and and also in um, Bangkok, Thailand. Wow! So they had different meetings with the organization. And there's a picture of this is a great picture. If you have a chance to take a look at it, you have this this guy, high ranking Yakuza guy, with a missile launcher perched on his shoulder, right? <laughs> Because these are these are the weapons he's brokering these huge weapon deals for rebel groups in it used to be called Burma, which is Myanmar now, yeah. and Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about, I mean, the list, the laundry list. If you look at it, is enormous. You had like five thousand AK-47s. You had a thousand M60s machine guns. You you had surface-to-air missiles. I mean, he had mortars, hundreds and thousands of ammunition. I mean, the list is unbelievable. What this guy wanted. And he, he's willing to pay, because of his connections, 500 pounds of heroin, 500 pounds of meth. Hmm. So th- these guys have some some pretty good contacts. Yeah. So that, that's, that was a heck of, heck of a uh, investigation. So you look at the pictures from Copenhagen. They had the meetings in Copenhagen out there. So I was reading the complaint. I was looking more online. You can find more and more about it. And uh, then they arrest these guys. And the case is going to be out of the Southern District of New York. But it just shows where – and they always went to Bangkok. I mean, these guys – have contacts all over the world. Yeah. The smaller group, I mean, obviously it's not as big, but the smaller, harder group is still pretty active. And and, and they're involved in like a lot of white collar crimes. Yeah, this guy's doing trafficking. He's he's with the rebel groups, but they also are, are terrorist groups also. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all right. Because look at Sri Lanka situation right now. It's atrocious because groups like this, this arming these guys to cause the government to collapse, which is pretty much what they want. The same in Burma. So this is a situation you're dealing with. These guys are arming these kind of groups. And, and he had those kind of connections. So it's a worldwide, it was like enough that the agent did it, the undercover. And he also had the local authorities from these countries helping with the investigation, which was good. Uh, these guys look for some serious time because you're dealing with machine guns. You're dealing with, uh, you know, these are unregistered weapons, you know, serves for a missile with the drugs and everything else, like 30 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's big time. That's life. That's basically life for guys like that. That's uh, in, in the federal system. Like I said, you do about 90 percent of your time. You don't, There's no yes, you do. good time to speak of. That's that's a nice thing about the federal system. No parole. No, early no parole. parole. Yeah. So uh, this was an agent, an ATF agent. It, uh, ATF, I think, was involved. In some extent, it was a joint DOJ, but the agent actually was from DEA. Oh, DEA. Wow. But I, I, I said, I, I wish I would have done some of that. You said, that's a great case. <laughs> yeah, I, up, it's up, up my alley, up my alley. And I did a lot of you see and reverses, stuff like that. And uh, and especially with the whole international collection, and, and you're doing Yakuza, you're doing Europe, you're doing Asia. Uh, they're all over. Uh, but you're, you're right. They, they're not just involved in loan shark. I mean, extortion is big too. 
Mm. Extortion is a big, big thing. They, they sh- they're shaking down. I was reading another case, major casinos out there. Mm. And, and when they still have some teeth and people still fear them, but because policing is getting more aggressive and the laws are being stronger against them, it's all falling apart. It's all falling apart for the Yakuza. And that, that was my conclusion after I saw everything going on, especially this case here. That's a huge slam dunk uh, for the federal government, our, yeah. our country. And if you really want to take a case where it's, it, it's, like, it's, it's amazing, in my opinion, after 9-11, you look at the Southern District before and after, they're, they're, because I've prosecuted some cases that started in Florida, we end up in New York, and we say, you know what, which is the better venue? It appears Southern District, New York, it's the better venue to prosecute cases. Oh, really? So they got a, they got a real good case, an aggressive case out there. So uh, I think things change a lot. Mindset, you think, oh, it's a more maybe blue state. But in that area, people respect and understand law enforcement, especially what happened after 9-11. I think you see that. Especially and, uh, that transnational right. law enforcement, too, because that's kind of a new thing. And I remember seeing a hearing a talk at a LEIU intelligence units convention and a futurist, this was like 25 years ago. And he said, well, the common thing, the, the La Cosa Nostra is out, but transnational is in. And that's what you guys are looking at is, is uh, transnational organized crime. Uh, and that's, that's what these guys are now. Yeah. Yakuza is definitely transnational. I mean, these guys, we're, we're dealing with everybody. I mean, uh, you know, you, you're dealing with uh, rebels in Sri Lanka, rebels in, in Burma. These are all criminals. Yeah. They, they have access to a lot of drugs. There's no doubt about yeah. that. He had samples he, he had supplied and everything else. So, yeah, I, I encourage your audience to look at him. He post something, but that's an amazing picture. High-ranking Yakuza member, and he's he's got it perched with doing that. You keep right there, <laughs> really? and, 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 and he's looking ready to the missile oh, launcher. And that's a that's an that's an amazing picture, man. I'll that's have an to amazing look that picture. Up. It, it, you can find that think, on the internet. Just Google. Yakuza oh, that's everywhere. Yeah, New York, put the guy right. in there. <laughs> that, that's a great picture put there. I mean, that just says that says it all right there. And, and he's and he's being prosecuted in this country. <laughs> Look for that on the Gangland Wire podcast Facebook page, folks. <laughs> that that that's an awesome picture. Man. So <laughs> yeah, so I, their, their membership has dwindled so much. It, it, it's just incredible. And, and so wow. going back to the whole new generation and the whole battle, which is pretty uh, interesting between the Kobe Jamakuchi and the other one, it's it's a break. They they don't want to be labeled because. They know they can't do business. They mm. they can't function now in society. So they don't want the tattoos. They they don't want to uh, to do the, any of the other things that they have to be doing. Uh, they they're taking more and a lot involved in more white collar. They want to cut back on the violence, the attention, uh, crypto. They like to move a lot in cryptocurrency. Yeah. Uh, they they want they want to do a lot of things that it's it's more easier modern than the old ways because they they know it's it's just not worth it. So that's the battle I'm seeing within what I researched and what I saw. Uh, within the Yakuza, if it survives. I mean, it's been around for 300 some years, but it, it might not survive the century. That's that's for sure. It, it, it's just one of the things, just like the Costa Nostra, I, I think it's it's done in this country. It's something's remnants left, but it's nothing like the 30s and 40s. That's, yeah. that's for sure. That's Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because of the uh, way people have moved and it's uh, other opportunities out there for uh, uh, folks and and. Children, you know, these guys in this organized crime realm, they're, they're like businessmen who are criminals. And then they want to see something better for their own kids. And, and so they get them to go to college and, and become lawyers and doctors. And you see that in the Italian, uh, uh, the Coast Nostra Mafia, at least in Kansas City. And I understand it's in other cities, too, that they really encourage their kids to, to get out and do something else. Yeah, I, that, that's what I did see that, too, in a documentary that the guys who are leaving. They want to find other careers. Yeah. So 
one guy became a, he went to school and became a photographer. <laughs> and, and, and so he's trying to change his life from being a gangster. So now he's a professional <laughs> photographer and he's there taking pictures of weddings and other things. So, you know, th th they know this life is no good. Yeah. And you know how it ends. I always say it, it, life of a gangster ends yeah. two ways. Yeah. By death or long imprisonment. Yeah, locked up or cover up, covered up. They say <laughs> covered up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> locked up or covered up. Covered up. That, that that yeah that yeah that that is so true. Um, it, it, but the gangs I do see thriving. That's not the case for all of them, but in our country, I write I write books about it. Uh, I, yeah, obviously I don't see Yakuza thriving here anymore. They're 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 about done. I don't see the Costa Nostra. I don't, I don't see the one percenters. Uh, I think they've been hit hard, bad, taken care of. Um. But what I do see is that it just doesn't go away and it's the street gangs. Yeah. The, the street gangs, no matter how big, and I've done big case too, no matter how big, it just keeps on coming. And I've always said it's a difference out there with that, with the drugs and the cartels. And the Mexican cartels is probably the strongest I've ever seen. Yeah. Bigger than, than the Colombian cartel. Probably the strongest they've ever been in, in the history of Mexico, what we're seeing now with the Sinaloa and Jalisco fighting. And then of course you got big other ones, Gulf cartels. You got other big ones out there too. Las Etas were also, they fractured up in, in different factions. But what I'm seeing there, I, I just think it's just getting worse and worse and more violent. And, 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 and I've talked to my other books there, but if we don't address the newer generation, who just keeps on getting erased in that culture. We don't take them out of that environment. This, yeah. this cycle will never end. What you were saying about the Yakuza is kind of a parallel with the street gangs in the United States. And, and of course I cut my teeth, you know, we, we've had to form the LA boys task force here in Kansas city because there were so many of these guys and they were come competing for this smaller, this territory that they started moving out. They'd have relatives back in Kansas city or Tulsa or Wichita, uh, Portland, you know, other middle-sized cities to maybe even a little bit smaller cities. And they'd, break they had this direct connection back to colombians through california through the you know the mother load of, of cocaine and there's all these markets and they they moved to all these cities and brought their culture with them and and i was in on the, the start of that and and the tattoos and and the tagging and yeah. and all those visible things that these gangs want to say hey you know i'm part of this something bigger uh and and of course that you know and, and we uh, we didn't pass laws but but when somebody had gang tattoos or we knew that they were, you know, they, they had that graffiti around them that was gang graffiti, they got dealt with a little bit different. <laughs> and everybody knew that they were part of a gang all the way through the criminal justice yeah. system uh, until they went to the penitentiary. And then, of course, they just went back into their prison gang self there. So it's, uh, you know, and it, I just see no end to it in the United States as far as the street. I don't, I, I don't. I don't know. either. It, it's. I, I, I don't either. I don't either. I, you know, it's bigger than us. I'll, I'll tell you that. It's a huge societal problem that only the society as a whole is going to have to try to figure out how to deal with. I, I don't really know, but it's. Uh, I, I, I think in, in other cultures, in other countries, the way they dealt with it, and I, I found it interesting, was that uh, once the parents are considered gang members or violence, they, the children are in danger. They consider that a dangerous environment ah, to raise them. Yeah. And then you have to remove them and put them like in foster homes. You have to get them out of that culture because yeah. if not, they're going to be the same thing. I mean, yeah. we talked to other people who were raised in that and they were forced into it, right? Mm -hmm. You're raised into it. You know, you're raised in a mafia family. 
most likely you're going to be a, a mafioso, right? <laughs> yeah. they, they're going to they're bring you into the business. So the best thing a child is, like I said, other parents, right? You have to take them out of that. So if we don't come up with a plan like that, it's just going to be future generations. And it's just costs a lot of money with incarceration cases, you know, violence. It, 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 we, we pay, we all as a society pay a price. Yeah. And, uh, and we're not, I don't think in the United States, we're ever going to pass those draconian laws like they're able to in Japan. Japan's a little, it's a different, you know, setup, different government, different culture, different society, uh, much more family oriented and, and uh, shame based, you know, that, you know, that we just, we don't have any shame in the United States anymore. <laughs> right, let's don't go down this political trail here because it, it's an endless thing. But I, I know it's just, it's, uh, it's a bummer. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it makes things uh, a lot harder. And then on top of that, you had the drug consumption. So, okay, so on top of that, they're not they're education, right? Right. A lot of these guys don't don't go to school. They, they're dropout. And, and then on top of that, you have all this money, drug money. Yeah. That's easy money for them. Yeah. And that's another bait there. So yeah. it's it, it's it'll make it if we could somehow curb our, our drug addiction as a country, I think it'll make it harder for the street gangs yeah. to survive because yeah. they find other things to do. So it's 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 a it's a complicated complicated web, and I just write about it. You know, obviously we investigated before and worked on it, and you know, make all these arrests, but it's always somebody else. <laughs> it's always something else, right? Here's a, here's a quick story to tell you about the drug yeah. business in the poor communities. This kid came here from L.A. right, and, and he moved to Kansas City. A lot safer. He had some relatives here. He got a job in a Taco Bell and he started saving his money. Saved his money and he bought like an eight ball and he cut it a little bit and he sold it. And, and so then he bought another one. And, and so then he bought, you know, like uh, so many ounces and he cut that a little bit and he sold it. And then he, he was up when we popped him, he was up to a key, just gotten his first kilo <laughs> when we popped him. <laughs> and, he, and, and so we got him in and, and he, you know, he told us, he said, this is how I did it. Uh, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it was much better paying job in the end than Taco Bell, he thought in the in the short run, but in the long run, he'd yeah. been better stay at Taco Bell and try to work up into management. <laughs> that, that would have been better for him. It gets more benefits. But some of these guys, like I said, they don't think big picture. No. Um, I, I I used to do undercover, and I got my book ATF Undercover, and I talked about some of these situations. And uh, we used to do a lot of cases with active home invaders, right? Mm -hmm. uh, home invaders that are looking to do a lick, an armed robbery of a cocaine stash house. Oh yeah. Right? These are guys looking to do it. So you think of this kind of mindset, you know, these guys aren't thinking, you know, you know, they're not thinking pension plans. No. They're not thinking savings. <laughs> they're thinking, I want to do a lick. I want to hit this house. And I know their guys are armed in there for protecting the, the load for whatever it belongs to. Yeah. And they're, and they're, and they have the, to do that. And you deal with these kind of guys, you have conversation meetings. These are direct conspiracy cases. And you take these guys, you need a SWAT team to take these guys down. These, these are big oh, yeah. things like that. But you're right. These are the kind of guys who don't think about stuff like that. No. They're ready to say, you know what? I, I can rip off and get about 30 keys. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Why would the heck do I want to go to work for? I'm set for life. You know, what I'm set hell? for life, man. I got 30, <laughs> 20 keys, whatever. Uh, why, why would the heck do I want to work? Well, maybe yeah. you, you go, you go through the door, you get blasted in the face. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd like to not take those kind of risks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And sooner or later, they're either going to get, as we said, locked up or covered up. They're going to do something that locks them up for the next 30 years or more, or they get blasted in, in as they go through the door. So it's, oh my gosh. Yes. And uh, it's, it's a crazy life. All right. Uh, Esteban, uh, Esteban Ignacio, uh, I really yes. appreciate you coming on here and telling us a little bit about the Japanese Yakuza. I appreciate and, it. I like other it. things and and we'll uh, i hope you'll come back and, and we'll talk about some other things in the future okay absolutely thanks gary for having all me right. appreciate thank it man you. thank you all right well folks that was most interesting look at the japanese yakuza and variety of other thing how it compares to uh, uh street gangs in the united states the tattoos and, and all this stuff in common uh, i like that guy he's uh I'm going to have him back every once in a while because he's he's got he's done a lot of studying on a variety of different organized crime operations and and he looks at uh, I don't know he just looks at a lot of different things about that I just, I like that he finds the score the stories the good stories about it so don't forget look out for motorcycles uh, get on my YouTube site got a lot of good stuff on there subscribe to it uh, you know I recently did speaking of motorcycles I recently did a uh, tour of the uh, uh, evil Knievel Museum which was over in Topeka Kansas and then I, I got onto it because uh, one of the uh, managers over there one of the guys that I think is uh, on the board of directors or trustee or something got hold of I mean he's a big Evil Knievel fan. He asked if Evil Knievel had anything to do with the mob. And I started asking around. I, one of my local sources says, you know, when he came to town, a bunch of mob guys would be all over him, taking him out to go drinking and partying with him. And he was a big drinker and a partier. Matter of fact, he got popped here in Kansas City for uh, trying to uh, he hit on a uh, policewoman who was running, doing a prostitution sting operation. They, they arrested him for, uh, for soliciting for prostitution. Uh, I found out from Red Mamet in Chicago, he was connected to a guy named Wayne Bach and Frank Suisse, both of who were big, bad leg breakers for the outfit. He had something to do with them. He used one of them. I'm trying to find out more about that. If you know anything more about that Chicago Evil Knievel uh, outfit connection, why well, let me know. And I'm going to try to put together, I've done a Freedom of Information Act request on Evil Knievel. If it doesn't cost too much, why uh, I'll get it, or at least I'll get the, the free part of it. If it's too voluminous, I, you never know. And uh, so anyhow, uh, thanks a lot for listening in. Uh, don't forget, if you've got a problem with PTSD, uh, get hold of your Veterans uh, Administration. Just Google Veterans Administration and PTSD, and they got a hotline. And most importantly, uh, keep coming back. Thanks, folks.